0: Welcome to the Canucks Hour with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Dreadnoughts. The game underway. Fraser dumping the puck into the Calgary zone and tips the green right in front for Steele. He's Steele, eight seconds into the game. This is where Vancouver talks Canucks.
1: Ten seconds left. Marcus Naslin to the net stop. Scores! Scores! Matt Tuck! Catch it in! Messer passes back through the middle for Henderson off the bench. Took it off a broken stick and scored! Scores! On the back end, elevates it over Peter Morazic,
0: and the Canucks win on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.
1: While the Canucks lay an egg in Buffalo last night, we'll see how Travis Green responds. At practice today, it's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Thomas Drance will be with me very, very shortly. He is live at the rink in Chicago, awaiting the start of Canucks practice. We're just getting him all hooked up and patched through, but you will hear Drancer very, very shortly, as always, on the airwaves with me. Before we go any further, the Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery, like a manager finding their team The right pieces to win Avenue Machinery will stop at nothing. So to find the machinery you're looking for, visit AvenueMachinery.ca. And, you know, Drance and I were joking about it yesterday. Yesterday was our first game day edition of the Canucks Hour in our first week on the air here. And today is our first, holy cow, what the heck happened in that game? That was awful. What is going on edition of the Canucks Hour? Because that was... A disaster, a debacle, embarrassing, whatever you want to call it. Shambolic, if you're a European footy fan, choose your adjective, choose your descriptor. That was tough to watch from the Canucks against the Buffalo Sabres last night as they fall 5-2. to two In the third period in particular, the game just completely got away from them. As always, we are open, we are interactive, we want to hear from you. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. What annoyed you most about last night? There's no shortage of options. There's no shortage of potential answers to that question, but we want to hear from you. 650-650, get your thoughts in. What annoyed you about last night? What kind of response do you want to see in practice, whether it's jumbling the lines, taking a player out, putting somebody else in? Whatever it is, hit us up, 650-650. 6.50 650, as we await the presence of Thomas Trance, again, he is live at the rank or he will be live at the rank when he joins us in Chicago, getting us all of the latest details, Intel and information from Canuck's practice when it gets going in about 20 minutes. So I said on the show yesterday, and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek take of mine that that was a big game the Canucks were going into last night in Buffalo and I will say as we as we work to patch over the uh, computer issues Thomas Drantz has been kind enough to join us on the phone live from the rink in Chicago so doing whatever he needs to do to be a part of the show Drantz and we have you by <laughs> phone and hey I'll say this you're already putting in more of an effort than the Canucks did at times yesterday in Buffalo. Ouch yeah I mean
0: look we're celebrating every minute first right so this is our yep. first
1: show our, our
0: first panic show after a Canucks loss, right? And also our first technical glitch, which is inevitable with the way we're trying to deliver yep. this show with me traveling about. Like, I'm in the lower bowl. I'm watching Demko step on the ice to work with Ian Clark before Canucks practice. I, I know live tweet, live radio of practice. Actually, it was Yarohalak. Is not exactly the best radio, but we're going to do it. It's going to be guerrilla radio at times. We're going to have some issues here and there. And
1: so we've encountered our first today, and we'll, we'll press on we'll we'll roll with it we'll roll with it we'll make the best out of it because that's what we got to do and hey it, it's the price we pay for having you on the ground with eyes on what's going on that that is a mm. price worth paying if you ask me so we're <laughs> happy to have you aboard even if it is via phone and i you know i i threw i, I was obviously just talking about the the disastrous loss really and i, I don't think that is stretching it too much transfer because that was just plain ugly. And I know you've got a lot to say about it. We'll get to to the point in a few minutes here, but just off the top, I mean, that was hard to watch from the Canucks last night against the Sabres.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And especially because they get out to a lead, you know, things are going decently well for them, I think in the first 10 minutes. And, you know, it sort of looks like they're firmly in control. And all of a sudden the Buffalo Sabres speed just kind of completely takes over. And you know, I, I talked to some Sabres post-game, two just on my way out the rink, and they were talking about, you know, they're playing fun hockey. They're playing uh, hockey with a bunch of guys, like 18 guys, relatively veteran. Like, the old, there's a couple old guys on the team, guys like Cody Eakin and Kyle Opozo have been around, but for the most part, we're talking about those guys, you know, mid-20s range, not a ton of, like, 19-year-old or 20-year-old guys. Like, everyone's an NHL-caliber player, kind of been through the mix, been through the battles. Uh, you know, hardened, as it were. And it's 18 guys that can move pretty well. And they just kind of overwhelmed the Canucks, who got completely stuck in their own end and just didn't take care of the puck to break out. I think they had four shifts in the offensive zone the entire second period. Like, that's no way to play. That's no way to win. And eventually, the dam broke. And when it broke, it broke twice in a minute. And so it goes. You know, it, it was really tough, in part because, you left the game with the impression that the club, you know, that their effort was lacking, that they hadn't moved their feet enough. And that is sort of a, a bar where, you know, this isn't Detroit where bad luck and great goaltending cost you two points. This is, you know, something that a team absolutely has to be able to control over 82 games, which is, you know, just that basic compete level. Uh, that's sort of where they lost the game. And that, that's really frustrating to see from a team, especially this early in the season.
1: Well, effort is always one of those things where it's so frustrating when it doesn't show up. And especially for a team like the Canucks, you know, this is not, you know, last year's Tampa Bay Lightning or the Colorado Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights where you're so loaded with talent that, yeah, you know what, maybe you can dial back the effort and go into Buffalo and get two points despite not giving it your all, right? That That's not where the Canucks are and as as we laid it out yesterday you know okay Buffalo Sabres no one expects them to be a playoff team but these aren't AHL players they're running out there as you just said Drancer right these are NHL guys you still have to be at your best you still have to take them seriously when you're rolling in there and you know just before we got you on the phone Drance I was recalling the the kind of tongue-in-cheek take I had yesterday calling that a big game for the Canucks and part of the reason I was saying that is okay, we've heard so much chatter about how this team is going to be different than what we saw last year. Well, last night was an opportunity to prove that, to show it on the ice. They did the exact opposite. Like, that looked like, other than the fact that it wasn't against another Canadian team, that looked like tape of last year's disastrous early season stretch that really sunk the whole season for them last year, right? It was bad turnovers, sloppy puck management, odd man rushes against, lack of effort, body language issues, right? It looked like the same dysfunctional team that we saw for so much of last year. And, you know, that more than anything is what concerns me, is this team was supposed to be different. And, yeah, I know it's only game four, but that was just more of the same last night.
0: Yeah, and, and I see what you're saying for sure. I, I mean, when you look back to last year, you know, weirdly the game that this reminded me of, and and maybe this is an optimistic spin, but the game that it reminded me reminded me of last year was, you know, in 2021, they start January, you know, they do, don't do well in Alberta, right? They come back one and three, and they just get stomped by Godzilla, Tyler Toffoli, right? Who, like, emerges like the Green Ranger out of English <laughs> Bay, you know, summoned, summoned by flu, right? Doo, doo doo, do, and he just crushes the entire city. And then they beat up on the Senators, they get back to 500, and then they go out on the road. Do you remember the 4-1 win in Winnipeg, right? And it was yep. like a complete 60 minutes, just the best game they played all year. And it was completely not a piece after the fact with everything else they did last season, right? Like it was completely isolated almost from the trend line of everything that happened in January, everything that happened in February, even everything that happened in March when they started winning games off of Demko, heroics. right? There, there was nothing else in the season that really compared to it. And that happens. Like That happens sometimes over the course of, you know, the uh, team's first 10 to 15 games. They'll have that one game that makes no sense with anything else. Last year, you know, they had that those run of games where they couldn't prevent teams from scoring at least five goals on them, right? Like, that was kind of the run that they had. And then that game was like the Black Swan out of completely nowhere. Uh, you know, this Canucks team really needs that game to be like the negative side of that coin, right? To be a game that has no resemblance to what came before or after And at least, you know, in fairness, you'd have to say it had no resemblance with anything we saw from them in in Edmonton, in Philadelphia, certainly not in Detroit, where they kind of did that to the Red Wings, right? Uh, That game just seemed kind of out of nowhere relative to what we've seen previously. And and, I mean, it's on this group now to work going forward and make sure we don't see it again.
1: Yeah, the hope is it's a one-off, but I also understand why any fan out there would be completely unconvinced that it will be a one-off, right? It could be. It's fair. It could be a one-off, but you completely understand why there's, uh, you know, a lot of skepticism on that point. It's the Canucks hour, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, and Thomas Drance. We do it every day at this time. You know Drancer's got a lot in his mind, got a lot to get off his chest about the Canucks. We'll give him the opportunity to do it here. It's to the point. Hughes shoots for the line and scores. Quinn Hughes for the left point. Of a point. Oliver Eggman Larson from the top of the point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Quinn Hughes with a bullet for the point, and the Canucks get a power play gold.
0: Let's get to the point. Jamie, anyone that knows me and my preferred style of dispassionate hockey analysis knows that I'm the quintessential It's Early guy. It's only been four games. It's only been four games. There's just no way, however, that you can use It's Early. To excuse or gloss over a performance like the one Vancouver turned in Tuesday night in Buffalo. It was a lifeless effort. From about the midway point of the first on, even when the Canucks began to generate a little bit late down two goals, there just wasn't much there. They looked shell-shocked. They committed the cardinal sin in the NHL. They got out work. Plain and simple. The Canucks still have a lot of time this season to tell us who they are as a team. But so far They've lived up to a lot of what I expected. Like, they're they're a middling five-on-five team with severely limited defensive personnel that needs stellar goaltending and stellar performances from a handful of stars, plus great special teams, to have any chance of reaching their potential. So far, the stars have been okay, right? The special teams have been a concern. And the goaltending hasn't stolen a win, although Demko did steal a point on opening night. If I'm not surprised, though, by the club's overall form so far, what I was genuinely surprised by, shocked by, is how the club followed up a regulation loss against an undermanned Red Wings team on Saturday. Their best performance of the year, arguably, with a complete gas job at the KeyBank Center yesterday. I just really don't expect this club to perform that casually at any point. I don't think I expect any NHL team to perform that casually at any point. I also don't think I'd quite realize, to be honest, how dependent they were on Hughes to key their breakout. Anyway, the whole thing, the slow start, the similarity to last season's wasted start, it's all especially galling because of this club's positioning, because of how Canucks management pushed a lot of chips into the middle of the table here. They're all in on this season, on this team, and this team melted down on Tuesday night. For the benefit of this team, right, we've seen consecutive first-round picks dealt. We've seen massive future cap liabilities taken on. We've seen a lot of cash spent shoring up the club's debt. We've seen a short-term deal for the most talented young forward. This club has drafted since the twins. All of it was done in service of chasing a playoff spot this year. The organization even leaned on the schedule makers to start them on the road like this, right? Like Seattle and the New York Islanders whose home arenas are still under construction. It all designed to maximize their chances of having a full house on opening night. Now, on the same day that it became clear that the club would be able to fill Rogers Arena 100% for the first time in roughly 600 days, on the same day that we learned officially that Vancouver hockey fans will be able to gather and watch, you know, uh, this typically ill-fated hockey club compete, uh, a fatalistic, anxious collective of Vancouver hockey fans doing what they do best, the way nature intended, the Canucks put in the sort of performance that makes me wonder if that home date could be something a bit more complicated than celebratory. I'm sitting right now at the United Center where the Chicago Blackhawks were booed off the ice following their home opener and where head coach Jeremy Colliton was booed at length, right, during team introductions. It was like a big flashing siren for me as I read those stories today that the return of fans doesn't just bring with it the return of revenue for the hockey club, but it also brings back the return of that old-style, like Roman arena mob accountability, Right? And that's a type of accountability that this organization was spared from when things went off the rails last year. It's also a type of accountability that the club has occasionally been reactive to, historically. This fan frustration in Vancouver right now, it's pent up coming out of the pandemic. And it was very present even before the pandemic hit, too, when fans in the market pretty heartily booed Canucks ownership during sitting night. The Benning banner that flew this past summer is another example here. Yes, it was classless. It was also reflective of how some fans felt the need to express their displeasure in the direction of this team and found a way to do so despite not being able to attend games and make their feelings known in person. So, so don't underestimate the angst and disappointment that exists in this market after last season's debacle, after the club dismantled its competitive spine to save some ducats following the success of the bubble. The curiosity and hope that the club created this offseason was a shield for some of that. But that shield is already tarnished, and we're just a week into the season. And on Tuesday, next week, when fans once again fill Rogers Arena for a good night out, that dynamic changes again, all of which raises the stakes for the Canucks and their various leaders on ice, behind the bench, and in the executive suite. No matter what, the home opener on Tuesday, for sure, will be a celebration of return to something more closely approximating normal for the hockey-obsessed in our city. If this team doesn't put in a very different sort of effort on Thursday and Saturday nights, however, I do think it could complicate the vibe of this long-awaited homecoming.? right? It could make this homecoming for the club, at least from the perspective of some key organizational decision makers, a little bit more dicey than the pure celebration that Vancouver and this organization deserve.
1: That's to the point there with Thomas Drance looking ahead to uh, Tuesday's home opener for the Vancouver Canucks against the Minnesota Wilds. It's Canucks hour, Sportsnet 650. Get your reaction into that. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And it's a fascinating point, Trancer. And in particular, you know, you just look at how this road trip is going to finish up, right? They play Chicago tomorrow night. And as you pointed out, that fan base, extremely unhappy, unhappy. The Blackhawks have zero wins through their first four games, only one point, right? So that's going to be, you know, on the face of it, you can look at that and say, oh, hey, that's another chance to go get two points. But that Chicago team is going to be extremely, extremely desperate to get their first win of the season. And that's not going to be an easy game by any stretch. Then you go and you have to play the Seattle Kraken in their first ever home game in Saturday. And you can only imagine what the atmosphere in Seattle, in that building, is going to be like for that one. Not to mention, you know, that's your last trip of a long road game. You're flying back home west after being out east for most of it. That's a difficult game no matter what, let alone when you're playing visitor to uh, the home team's first ever home game in their franchise's history. And Seattle, by the way, has a few days off to rest. They played last night. They won't play again until Saturday. So you've got two really, really tough games to round out this road trip. The potential exists for exactly what you're describing to come to fruition, right? If these two games go poorly, and I would point at specifically that game on Saturday against the Kraken, right? If that game is ugly, The symbolism of the new team, the new regional rival coming in and stomping the Canucks, potentially, in their first ever home game, I think that, more than anything else, has the potential to do exactly what you're talking about and just alter the mood and alter the vibe on Tuesday when the Canucks play at Rogers Arena.
0: Yeah, for sure it does. And I'm watching, by the way, the Canucks players have filtered out. And to this point, I do not see Quinn Hughes. On the ice, although, you know, they're, they're just gearing up, so we'll see. But it looks like Quinn Hughes is absent from Canucks practice on Wednesday. From the jersey colors, though, it does also look to me like there probably aren't any tweaks to the lineups. That would suggest to me that this is perhaps a work day and that Green will debut any tactical changes that he's going to roll out for the Chicago game tomorrow, uh, should the club have morning skate, though it may be optional. But it does look to me, Quinn Hughes not on the ice in Chicago, uh, for practice.
1: Well, that's a fascinating wrinkle in its own right, and we'll, we'll get into more of that throughout the course of the show. Although, as you said, they're still filtering out, so we could see Quinn Hughes because last no, night no, no, Travis they're was... not anymore. Practice is okay, okay. Quinn Hughes is okay. Not practice has been definitive. Got. So that's interesting because last night, you know, Travis Green said Quinn Hughes was close to playing, expected him back very soon. It sounded pretty hopeful that he'd be back for Chicago. So interesting that he's not on the ice with team at practice with the team at practice today but just looking more at the potential stakes of that home and op- home opener on tuesday and really just in general the stakes of this season even in the early part of the season you know we we got this text in as you were doing your to the point like there will be banners and signs at that game calling for benning's job right that came into the 650 650 text message inbox and i think that's completely possible and I just wonder, you, you remember what it was like a month into last year's abbreviated season, transfer in February, things were going so poorly for the team, and the temperature was just at a fever pitch in this market, and it really seemed like... It, was, it was, seemed like it was imminent that Jim Benning was going to be replaced as Canucks general manager. And then ultimately, you know, the owner of the team, Francesco Aquilini, makes a statement on Twitter or a thread on Twitter backing Jim Benning, saying there's not going to be a change, and that got things to settle down. But, I mean, that that atmosphere got overheated so, so quickly. And I just wonder, man, if they string a few results together like we saw last night, a few performances like we saw last night together. How long is it before we're back at that point, before the temperature gets just as heated as it was early in the season last year? Well, yeah, I mean, I
0: think the dynamic last year was so different just because of the way that the season was shortened. I mean, yeah, they have a tough month of January, right? They're a, they're a month into the season, but they're also a month out from the deadline, right? <laughs> and that sort of created a different type of dynamic in terms of what's next, for this organization, what's next for organizational leadership? And, you know, I think also when you look at all that they had to accomplish, right, when you looked at the expiring contracts, when you looked at Demco and Pedersen and Hughes, there was some urgency to chart a direction. And whether that was a direction charted by current management, as was ultimately decided, or by incoming management, like a decision needed to be made quickly, which sort of caused that conflagration to to spark up and, and rise swiftly as the season began, like it was a, it was sort of a, a, you know, hurricane in a teacup, as it were, it was a unique circumstance, you know, this year, as I sort of look through it, it's like the die's kind of already cast on this roster. One, one thing about this team is that it has to work. Like from a Canucks perspective, it has to work there. There's not a ton of movable pieces here. Like this is not a direct, this club's not set up so that they could change direction quickly. Uh, you know, some of the moves that they made, you know, acquiring Garland, but also bringing in OEL's contract, for example. Like, Garland's now signed for five years. OEL for six. You know, Tyler Myers has two years remaining on his deal beyond this season. Uh, Tanner Pearson just beginning the first year of his extension. Like, all of these supporting pieces. Even Tucker Pullman has four years on his deal. Travis Hammonick has a year remaining. Uh, and we haven't even seen him with the team yet. Like, the, the way that this team is set up does not create a ton of sort of upcoming pressure points they're kind of set which also is why you know bouncing back from last night in buffalo is so crucial like the way that this club is built they can't easily add next summer frankly because they're only going to have 13 million in space and have to give besser a raise of some kind and you know also even beyond that they're just not flexible to change this group. So they need to kind of figure it out. And as a result of that, too, I do think you're in a, a moment where, you know, coaches just extended. GM has two years left on his deal, one year after this season. They can afford to sort of let this settle in. And I'd expect that to happen. I just don't think there's the same pressure points at all this season.
1: And if there's not the same pressure at the front office level early in the season, and I think you lay out a good case. Now, as you also were saying, and you're to the point, you know that can always change based on fan pressure, right? And fan reaction, and ticket sales, right? right which you know the club is hoping totally. to cash in on a big way. That can always change in a hurry. But I think you lay out a good a, a good case for why it might not be as high pressure a situation. But. If that's where where say Jim Benning stands right now with the club, I mean the the question naturally is going to come up, and we're getting a lot of it to our six hundred and fifty six hundred and fifty Dunbar Lumber text text message inbox. This one texts in the pressure is on Green not betting we've got other people saying you know i've been a fan of green for a long time but i'm starting to wonder if the issues are coaching related and if the team has these massive playoff expectations and you're not willing to make a move for a variety of you know potentially legitimate reasons at the front office level mid the question is naturally going to come up well how long can travis green survive if the team isn't winning games right because We've seen, you know, NHL NHL teams always know they have that lever to pull, right? Because we've seen it in the past. You make the midseason coaching change, and it, tur- it can turn a team's fortunes around. It, it happens on a regular enough basis in the NHL that it's always going to be tempting for a team. And I think if Benning is not going to be the focus point, the focal point of the pressure, then I wonder how long it is before that pressure starts to shift to Travis Green. Well, I think you're already seeing
0: it shift from a fan perspective, but from a meaningful organizational perspective, I mean, this team finished seventh in the all-Canadian division and extended green, right? I mean, that was less than six months ago, right? So four games into the season, is the pressure real or is the pressure, you know, uh, external from from fan dissatisfaction? For me, it's probably all, all external. Um, you know, considering... The timing of how that all went down, it's pretty clear that they're going to give Green a long look here. Uh, now, again, things can change should, you know, an inexcusable effort on Buffalo be, uh, become a consistent theme of this team's performance. I mean, that could change things. But I do think it's going to take something as dramatic as that to alter this organization's overall view of, of Green, right? Like, I think that the decision was made so recently, the paint's barely dry on his you know, junior extension, I, I do think there's going to be patience in the offing as this team works through it. Again, so long as the performances aren't lackluster effort wise on a, on a regular basis, which, uh, I mean, we'll see, but certainly, certainly, I, I would expect this team to respond in some manner, whether they win or not. I, I would expect we're not going to see another egg laid on this road trip.
1: You certainly hope not. And if we do, then yeah, you're right. The conversation yeah, then that changes the conversation, right? The conversation that, could change a big, in a hurry cool. in that case. Totally. Yeah. Uh, then it's you, get the there, hour, then you, you
0: get into you- finger pointing vibes and all that toxic stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it's only game four. Hopefully we're not there. Um, I don't even think we can see that sort of pull from here, but I do think it would take something like that for this conversation to be more than fans griping after a tough loss.
1: Uh, it's the Canucks hour here on Sportsnet 650, and we always do encourage fans to gripe into our text message inbox, 650-650. That's what we are here for. Should also mention, just before we go to break, uh, roster note to pass along for the Canucks. Nick Patan, who was placed on waivers yesterday to make room for Brock Besser on the roster, he has cleared, so he will report to the Abbotsford Canucks. No surprise there, although... Uh, some Canucks fans may be understandably a little nervous after losing both Jonah Gajevich and Zach McEwen on waivers in recent <laughs> weeks. Lots more coming up. We'll continue to dig into what went down in Buffalo. Impressions and insight from practice, courtesy of Thomas Strance, who, by the way, again, is live at practice In Chicago and we had some people texting in like what is all that background noise it's the sound of an NHL practice happening behind uh Thomas Trant so we'll get into what's going on at practice take more of your texts continue to dig into the loss in Buffalo all of that coming up next it's Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. 15 seconds left. Canucks need to hurry. Welcome back to the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650. He settles it down, throws it the goal, Stop by Feeble. Feeble, they score! It's Brock Besser at the side of the net! And the Canucks have come all the way back to tie the game! Once again, here's Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drenz. Welcome back to the show. It's the Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks final segment On the way, and I should once again point out that the Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Like a manager finding their team the right pieces to win, Avenue Machinery will stop at nothing. To find the machinery you're looking for, visit Avenue machinery.ca your comments questions your venting it continues to pour in 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox we encourage you to keep sending those messages in and I'll just read a couple you know I knew we would get some of these variety drance right and this one comes in from trucker James let's cool off on the panic they're adjusting to new players and tweaks to their systems let's see how things are going after 15 to 20 games before we panic and and you know As you said at the start of your of your to the point today, you're a it's still early guy. Like you want to see, you know, 30 games of of NHL action before you start to really judge a team. I agree with that. I just think one, you know, effort level is not really about adjusting to new players and tweaks to their systems, right? Like that's not a that doesn't affect your effort level, and that was one of the big problems last night. And then two, as I said in the first segment it's a lot of what we saw last year it's a lot of the same problems so yes it's early this season but if it's problems that are just carrying over from a previous year i think it's fair to you know not jump to conclusions but it's it's fair to shorten the number of games that you need to start worrying about things
0: well for sure if the problems are things
1: that mimic concerns you had going
0: in right then yeah you're going to weight those a little more heavily now you know I mean look, I look at the overall five on five game, like if we wanna do the if we wanna do the take for it's still early, you know, the Canucks are basically on the right side of their five on five play in terms of controlling shot attempts, but they're just giving us too many quality looks and not generating high enough quality looks themselves. Like they're getting zone time and they're preventing zone time decently. It's just that when they're there, they're not doing as much with it as their opponents overall, and this is on the Full sample of, like, 200 even strength minutes to this point. Uh, the other thing is their finishing luck is a little bit off. Like, this team will be better offensively, but I, but I wouldn't call it luck after four games. I'd say their best finishers aren't quite in form yet, right? Like, Pedersen's rusty. Besser's been out. Uh, you know, Quinn Hughes missed part of camp and is now out. Um, you know, Garland and Bo Horvat clearly settling in. Like, there's reasons why momentum has been slow to come for this group, because of a variety of training camp absences, you know, that have affected, you know, half of their top six forward group, their best defensemen, and some key penalty kill personnel like Tyler Mott and Brandon Sutter. In fact, the biggest concern I have just from a hockey perspective, by a fair bit, is, you know, overall the, the penalty kill. Like, the penalty kill is where, and I, they didn't get scored on technically last night, although obviously the game time goal came right after that Tanner Pearson double minor expired but the penalty kill has been ventilated in terms of the shots that it's permitting. That to me is actually the biggest concern going for this team that like, you know, I, I, I imagined that would be problematic with Sutter and mod out. I didn't expect it to be this bad. And, you know, it has been, it has been. And that's a really significant issue that this club's going to need to work through because the underlying profile of the penalty kill suggests in fact that like it's worse then even its results show and its results aren't pretty. So, you know, that's the long view of, like, where this club's at after four games. We'll see where they end up. But when it comes to a performance like the one on Tuesday, you know, you just have to call it what it was. Like, unacceptable. Yeah. The, the coach, Justin Dowling, uh, Brock Besser, you know, we didn't move our feet. That's not the type of team we want to put on the ice, and we all knew it. Um, you know, I had nine forwards that didn't block a shot, and eight that didn't throw a hit. We didn't pay a price to win. If a team is talking like that, you know, you you can react appropriately because they know they know what happened. And that's all you should need to be like, Okay, that wasn't your average game four.
1: It's Canucks hour here on Sportsnet 650. The penalty kill has been bad, like statistically. It's also just been really frustrating to watch. And I think maybe maybe tomorrow on the show, going into the Blackhawks game, we'll uh, we'll do a bit of a deep dive into the special teams so far and kind of peel back the curtain a little bit there. But yeah, it, it's just been really frustrating to watch that penalty kill go to work now. We mentioned it uh, in the course of the first segment. You are at practice in Chicago today watching what the Canucks are doing. So that's the background noise people are hearing. It's because Drancer is there and keeping tabs on everything that's going on. Uh, The big note really from practice so far today was that Quinn Hughes not on the ice with the team, which is for me a little bit of a surprise given that Travis Green sounded pretty optimistic about Hughes' status post-game last night. Now, I I do want to bring this up, Drancer, because uh, I just saw the Canucks tweeted that uh the the post-practice media availability will start at about 10 to noon vancouver time so that's a little bit before we finish up here but i I don't know if you'll be able to get in on those conversations or not if you'll be able to have a chat with uh travis green but i I do want to know the next time you are able to ask travis green some questions When you ask him the tough questions, are you going to be doing it as Thomas Drance from The Athletic or Thomas Drance from Sportsnet (laughs) 650? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because I duffed
0: that yesterday. So if you missed it, I was on the intermission panel with Murph, and I'm not good at TV yet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not good at radio, let's be real. I'm not a good writer either, but at least I can fake those. I'm really not good at TV yet. And so I was trying to make a comment about how... I ask bad questions and I didn't mean tough questions. I meant bad questions. Literally one thing I do pretty regularly in my job is, you know, I'll know a guy's unhappy with their ice time, right? Like I'll know that because it's obvious uh, yet. I'll go to them and I'll ask them the question politely because hockey players will always say the right thing, but you know, they say the right thing in a way that, you know, they're not happy about it. Right. And, and that's what sort of what I was getting at. Like the lilt in your voice, you know, they're like, Oh no, I, I, I'm, trying to help the team win and it's at the top of someone's (laughs) register and you know you know it's like oh thank you for bringing that potato salad to the party like "Mm," you know like you see it in your real life too well I, I see it as a reporter and I test guys and I figure that out and so that's what I was sort of getting to but I just didn't explain it as fully as I just did you know and so in addition to making fun of myself for asking bad questions I then wanted to spare my, my, my new outlet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm now yeah. I'm working with Sportsnet more regularly. So I didn't want Sportsnet to think I'm asking bad questions for them. So I tried to split it from the athletic, like, but I only ask good questions for you guys now, right? That was the joke I was trying to land. Instead, everyone took it a different way. And uh, I was quite embarrassed because that's not how I meant it. And I just wanted to take the opportunity to explain myself once you brought it up. So
1: thanks, Jay. Well, I appreciate yeah, it. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. And uh, I was puttering around my kitchen, you know, during the intermission. I was like, hmm, oh, what? <laughs> I definitely did the head <laughs> tilt. Did I hear that right? But yeah, we, we smoothed it out over right. text. So it's all good. And, I appreciate and, the explanation. And then you called me, though. And then you called me and we're like, that hit was great. You did so
0: well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, listen, between that
1: and and Murph uh, getting the time wrong on the show, you know, it was uh, <laughs> it was a banner effort uh, all around. Yeah. I should have texted Murph about that as well. Okay, so moving on to to what's actually going on with the Canucks and app practice and as we've said many times, you're there. The I, I don't know if you've got any clarity on kind of what the lines look like so far or anything like that, but I, I do find this this type of practice very interesting because when you come off an effort like last night, the temptation is always to – well, I guess you can go one of two ways, right? You can say – man, we need to change everything because that was a disaster. So we're going to throw it all in a blender. We're going to get weird. We're going to try some out-of-the-box things because we need to erase that memory from last night. And the other way you can go is, okay, look, that was an aberration. That was a one-off. We actually don't need to tweak things. We just need to play better. We just need to bring better effort. But it doesn't come down to what we're doing, you know, with the lineup decisions. And for the Canucks specifically in this spot, you know, you have new players that you're still trying to integrate and build chemistry with, right? Mm-hmm. Like Connor Garland, he's had some really good moments, but you wouldn't necessarily say that it's been instant chemistry with Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson, right? You know, Vasily Podkolzin. we talked about it earlier this week. You would love to have a consistent line for him to play on early in his career. Jason Dickinson, like there's all these guys that you're trying to find the right place for and the right fit for. And I just wonder, is it, the better option right now after that game, is it throw everything in a blender and change things, or you look at it and say, you know what? We have to try to build some continuity, some consistency. So even though it was ugly last night, we're going to stick with it for now.
0: Yeah. The, I mean, here's like the lines are exactly the same at practice today as they were at the start of Tuesday's game. So, When I'm watching this pace, though, and they're doing a ton of in-zone work, a ton of breakouts work, it's been a really fast-paced practice overall. You know, that to me, this to me is a practice where you can't read a ton into the lines. Like, I'm sure there will be changes made before Thursday's game against Chicago unless, unless the message to the guys is just flush that one, right? And that's possible, too. Like, hey, guys, we're just flushing that one. It doesn't mean anything. We're rolling the same lineup because that was so bad that we're going to pretend it didn't happen. Like, unless that's the play, which I doubt it would be, um, you know, I I think we'll see different lines on Thursday, but we're not seeing them reflected in the practice sheet on the practice sheet today. And that to me is because this is a working day. Don't even think about new lines. Just go to work, get your game back on track. Um, In terms of what I'd like to see, like in terms of opining on what I'd like to see, um, you know, one thing, Oh, looks like a little bit of a bag skate. It's not a full-length bag skate, but certainly this is a hard skate at the end of a long practice. So uh, some dissatisfaction certainly being shown here um, <laughs> from the head coach. Uh, the The thing I think, you know, I'd like to see, the thing I'd suggest, right, is I watch Pedersen play with Hoaglander and Miller, for example, and I'm seeing – them almost like bump into one another. <laughs> like it's yeah. like their, their, their chemistry in terms of supporting each other is just not quite there. Same with Garland. Garland like rushes to Pearson and Horbat right now um, to sort of support them in, in wall battles. And they're almost not looking for that. They're like looking for him to be further away. It's almost like they're surprised when they see him. And so for me, one thing that I'd probably look to do if I like just, you know, putting myself in green shoes, it's like, you've got this lot of line option They've played thousands of minutes together. They've outscored their opponents by 27 over the course of two seasons, right? I mean, one of the best lines in hockey dating back to the 2019-20 season in aggregate. Um, so, you know, that's a line you know can help you move the river in the direction you need to. Tilt the rink in a favorable direction. You've also sort of got a pretty demonstrated pair or line in Hoaglander with Pearson and Horvat, right? And, I mean, that line played 600 minutes together last season. Decent underlying numbers. Like, there's, there's something there that just works. It, it's maybe not their most dynamic second-line option, but it works. And, yeah, I mean, there's downsides to this approach. One of them is that you don't integrate Garland into your top six, and he's been one of Vancouver's standout forwards. But when you look through what this team needs to sort of get going and the stakes of getting it going quickly, I mean, why not go with some – good old home cooking like the, the this is a chicken noodle soup lineup <laughs> the, the, the lineup that's good for you and, and comforting on a cold day after a brutal loss in buffalo like the chicken noodle soup top six is what i'd go with and then you know your, your third line something like pod coles and dickinson garland and yeah you're leaving garland out to dry a little bit there but uh you just kind of need to pick up some points here and then and then your fourth line you know is is whatever remains i mean maybe it's dowling lamaco and Highmore, right. I mean, Highmore. some combination yeah. of that. So, you know, that's sort of what I'd be looking at, what I think might make sense. Um, even something that I think Green might ultimately end up thinking himself over the next 24 hours. But I do think that what we're seeing at practice lines wise is not what we will see when the Canucks take the ice against Chicago for warm up skate tomorrow night.
1: And as you said, you know, you called the lotto line kind of the comfort food, the chicken soup for uh, for Travis Green's soul, I guess. It, it has that feeling, right, of the, the security blanket. Like, at least you always know or you always feel like you can go out and put the lotto line together and they'll be able – like, who knows what it's going to do to the other lines, but they will be able to generate some offense. They'll be able to, as you say, tilt the ice in the right direction. That's always the hope with the lotto line. The other interesting thing here is, okay, Alex Chason is the extra forward – So it's not, like, there's no logical spot where you say, oh, you know what, bring in Chase on and take out this guy, and that'll give the lineup a real boost. It feels like, to me at least, we're probably going to see the same 12 forwards uh, in Chicago that we saw in Buffalo. And I think we lost Thomas Trance. He is uh, on his cell phone. No, sorry, sorry, I'm here. Oh.
0: I was muting you. I was muting you while you talked, and then I forgot. The How dare time. you? Excuse How me. dare you mute I, me? Well, no, I was, I was trying to be respectful. I was still listening until I started talking into a <laughs> muted phone like um, like some rook. <laughs> um, but, you know, I only do that at my Sportsnet 650 gig. Yes, anyway, there you the, go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> the, um, the, thing about, the thing about the same 12 forwards, I think you're right. Like, I do think Chase On will be the extra. In part because, you know, I don't think that they're going to put him back on PP1, uh, at least not right now. And so, you know, I think, I think basically the availability for PP1 is what's going to keep Chase on in the lineup should he be in the lineup, right? Like that is, that is what will keep him there. And because I think they're going to try and sort of give that first unit some time to work through everything they need to work through, I just I don't think we're going to see him back.
1: Uh, we got this text that's that I enjoyed very much to the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Dranser, out to greener to change up the power play. It's too predictable. So, so there you go. Now you're a you're a conduit directly from the listeners to Travis Green at practice. You can take those suggestions and just immediately vocalize them, which I'm sure you'll get you'll get right on doing that.
0: No oh, man. So yeah, I will for sure, especially because he's putting his team through climbers right now, which is just a brutal <laughs> drill where you have to use your stick only to crawl across the ice uh, while your skate dra- skates drag behind you. This is like a clear punishment for whoever lost the drill and looks like absolutely zero fun. And so, yeah, I mean, this is not the moment that I'm going to call out to greener to be totally
1: honest with you. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, probably read the room, read the rank there and, and Sorry, choose another would, moment uh, for would that be one. Uh, would, would be unprofessional anyway, but
0: especially on a practice that's included both climbers and the bag skate. Uh, or or at least a mini half version of the bag skate going lengthwise across the rink. Uh, this is not the moment to test yeah. my luck.
1: I, it doesn't sound like a group that's in the mood for, uh, for some levity right now for practical jokes. That, <laughs> I don't think that's where the Canucks headspace is right at the moment, based on your description of practice. The other thing from last night that was kind of interesting to me, and it was something that Travis Green said in his post game discussion with the media and You know, he said that he felt like both teams were kind of playing and his words were a run-and-gun style. And and then he went on to say, you know, we're not a run-and-gun team. That's not how we're going to play. And it kind of raises the question, okay, if if your identity isn't a run-and-gun team, what is your identity? And I also, you know, you look at it to a certain extent and with the talent they have up front and the nature of some of the pieces they have on defense, it's like, well... Isn't it kind of a run and gun team? What did you make of that comment from Travis Green? That's Yeah, I mean, I think the overall thing with <laughs> You mute us again
0: there, Drancer? No, sorry. I thought are we were playing the clip and I just
1: can't hear it. Oh, no, we're not oh, we're man. not going to
0: play the clip right now. Okay, good. Sorry. Uh, yeah, the thing about that quote that I found interesting, right? Was from Grant's perspective, you know, this is definitely a team that plays aggressive hockey, right? Like, they definitely play aggressive. But I do think that, in his view, they're a team that grinds. They just prefer to grind 100 feet from their net. Like, they prefer to apply forechecking pressure and, you know, are aggressively attacking teams through the neutral zone and want to feed their game by creating turnovers when the other team's leaning in the other direction. Like, that's sort of how they view their offensive opportunities I, I don't think he would view that as being like this high octane highfalutin offensive team right even though the results that that can engender in terms of back and forth hockey and teams trading chances would to a casual fan right be interpreted as run and gun hockey the, the other thing I, I wonder if he was suggesting with that quote like i, I wonder if that was Sometimes, sometimes comments are intended for us, right, the media. Sometimes it's intended yep. for fans. I wonder if that was a message intended directly for his star players. I mean, in the wake of a game where we saw so many turnovers at the red line or at the blue line off of, you know, backhand, sauce, exit attempts, right? I wonder if that was a reminder to his star players. Like, that's not how we want to play. That's not how we're going to have success we're not a run-and-gun team, don't play like it. Like, I'm not sure that that was the message, but I do sort of wonder if the intended audience there wasn't us. Like, wasn't you or me, Jamie, but was, in fact, some of the guys in that locker room.
1: And I think that that's an interesting perspective because, again, it, it harkens back to something which was an issue for the team last season, right, which is exactly what you're saying, that making it way too complicated, trying to get out of your own zone, dangerous passes when you're set up in the offensive zone that lead to on-man rushes the other way. And, you know, it, it, it makes sense that Travis Green would be trying to send a message to his team basically saying, hey, cut that out. That's not what we want to be about. And, again, it, it, I just – come back to the idea that it's concerning that those things that we saw last year are still an issue. And just on the topic of, you know, maybe his star forwards trying to do a little bit too much, I I thought there were moments last night where they had opportunities on odd man rushes overpassed a little bit rather than taking a shot. And look, I know you don't want to just throw it on the net for the sake of getting a shot, but you also have to be willing to pull the trigger. It it did just feel like it, it was not simple or direct enough at any point for the Canucks last night.
0: No, it didn't. Especially, especially
1: on those exits of the neutral zone. Like it just
0: felt like there was nothing they could do. You know what it was like? It was like they were trying to get ketchup out of one of those old glass bottles, you know, <laughs> but they didn't know the trick to hit it on the side, you know, like they were just hitting it on the bottom or like shaking it. And it's just like, you're embarrassed for the person. You're like, have you never been to a diner? Come on. guys. Like, you know, there's one place you hit it that makes the the ketchup flow. Like that was the Canucks trying to exit their zone yesterday. Uh, especially in the second period, where, I, like, honestly, I think their skates only hit, only cross the Buffalo side of the of the blue line, like, four or five times in the entire period, right? Uh, not going to get it done. Not going to get it done. When, when you're playing with fire like that, it's only a matter of time before you get burned. They obviously did in the third period with those two quick goals against to effectively ice the game. And, you know, they do need to simplify. Uh, I, I think there's no question about it. And, and they probably also need to be a little bit more confident in their ability to win draws, right? Because under duress, like sometimes you just got to ice it. And, you know, in the past, this team was able to rely on, on winning a fair share of them. This year, their work in the faceoff circle has been a major struggle. I do sort of wonder if that's part of why guys are maybe overthinking their exit attempts.
1: Uh, that's going to do it for the Canucks Hour today. Yeah, as you said, the Canucks got burned with their lack of effort in Buffalo. Travis Green put them through their paces at practice today. We'll be back tomorrow to set up the game in Chicago against the Blackhawks. Bick Nazar and Irfan Gafar have Sportsnet today. They're live in Chilliwack at the BCHL Showcase, which is a very cool event going on for the next few days. So make sure you keep listening to Bick and Irf. That's going to do it for us. we will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. It's the Canucks Hour on Sportsnet 650.